questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a truly special guest returning to our program. A man whose extraordinary experiences have captivated the UFO community and captured the attention of government officials, researchers, and individuals from all walks of life. First featured on Veritas Radio in 2013, his initial interview has since become a classic in our archives. Now, a decade later, we are excited to welcome back the remarkable Chris Bledsoe. In 2007, Chris's life took an, in, an unexpected and dramatic turn. As a devoted family man and successful business owner, he was on the brink of despair after losing everything in the financial crisis and suffering from a debilitating chronic illness. It was during a fishing trip along the Cape Fear River that Chris experienced an encounter that would forever change his life and the lives of those around him. As Chris cried out to God for help, a UFO suddenly appeared, curing him of his illness and setting him on a path of awe-inspiring experiences, spiritual awakening, and transformation. This initial encounter led to a series of enigmatic events involving everything from remote, view remote viewing and an assassination plot against the Pope to healing the son of a powerful Washington, D.C. insider. Chris's incredible journey has attracted the interest of U.S. government, CIA, NASA, MUFON, and a network of professors known as the Invisible College. In this riveting interview, we'll delve deeper into Chris's story, exploring the implications of his encounters and the profound impact they've had on his life and the lives of those around him. As we discuss the fascinating relationship between UFOs and God, we invite you to join us on this extraordinary journey and ponder the mysteries that lie at the intersection of spirituality and the unexplained. So buckle up and get ready for a thrilling conversation that will leave you questioning the nature of reality and contemplating the possibilities that lie beyond our understanding. Stay tuned as we welcome back Chris Bledsoe to the show and embark on a wild and enthralling exploration of the unknown. Welcome to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To access tonight's full interview and all of our exclusive material, simply join the Veritas Plus family by clicking on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the Veritas store for a range of great products, including focused life force energy. Experience the power of FLFE with a 15-day free trial today. No credit card required. We're excited to announce the launch of our brand new Veritas Plus Insider, your source for exclusive news and insights you won't find anywhere else. If you're looking to get in touch with Mel, have a guest suggestion, or would like to provide feedback, simply click on the contact button on our website. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's show. And now, here's your host, Mel Hasselrich. Chris Bledsoe has been profoundly transformed by a series of extraordinary encounters. With a deep-rooted faith in God, Chris has dedicated his life to understanding the meaning behind his experiences and the increasing frequency of these extraordinary events. As a passionate truth seeker, Chris strives to maintain an open mind, engaging with others who question the nature of our existence and the mysteries that surround us. He is particularly interested in exploring the intricate relationship between human consciousness, faith, and UFO phenomena. 
seeking to reconcile these seemingly disparate realms in his own life and the lives of others. Driven by the insatiable desire to answer the age-old question, are we alone? Chris tirelessly pursues knowledge and understanding, continually pushing the boundaries of conventional thought. His genuine curiosity and willingness to engage with those who challenge the status quo have made him a respected figure within the UFO and spiritual communities. And directly from North Carolina, I would like to welcome Chris Bledsoe. Hello, Chris, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Uh, Mel, I am uh, so glad to be back. I'm, I'm honored, and it's been a long time. I mean, what, almost uh, 10 years now, but I am doing well, and so is my family, and I'm just glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure, Chris. I consider you a friend. And, you know, after finishing your book today, I noticed something. You have not deviated an ounce. You have not deviated an inch from all the things you and I discussed. And just so, so that people know, if anybody's listening to this interview today, I would encourage you to listen to our interview from 2013 because we're going to leave a lot outside of today's interview because I don't want to sound repetitive and I value Chris's time. But Chris and I met in 2013 in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. We were invited by a gentleman with the name of Larry Freshella, who happens, or he used to be a, a member of, of our program here, a subscriber. And he called me and wanted to invite me to that event with 200 of the who's who in the field, scientists, people from all walks of life. And it wasn't until the second or third night, I believe it was, James Fox literally grabbed me by the arm and said, I need you to come and meet this gentleman and his wife. And he introduced me to Chris and said, you ought to interview Chris. I think that was one of the first interviews that you ever did, Chris, right? Yeah, it sure was. Um, and really one of the last. I did very few after that until 2019 or 2020. I actually started back doing a few then. But why is that, Chris? Days. Why is that? Because as, as we're going to be discussing many of the people that we mutually know, Dr. Diana Pasolka, uh, Grand Cameron. In fact, today I did a search on my email to see if I had any emails from Grant when he stayed at your home. And I found a bunch of them, including the transcripts of the regression hypnotherapy that I'd like to discuss with you, too. So many things happen after. Well, yeah, um, you know, but before I met you, there was a period, and it's in the book, you read about this, there was five years that we called Five Years of Darkness, which was extreme criticism and being ostracized by the community and my children picked on. And, and so um, that, that uh, changed suddenly in 2012. And I met you right after that event, and and then I began to meet a lot more serious people within the government. They came from all places, and basically, nut in a shell. I was advised to um, to not talk a lot if I could, uh, or not attend these UFO um, these events and these shows because they didn't want me. Uh, taking on 
someone else's uh, story. If, if it makes sense, what they told me was, you know, you're 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 totally um, clean right now. In other words, you have no outside influence, and we'd like for you to stay that way. And if you do, if you work with us, uh, we'll let you in on some things, and you just got to be quiet about it. And so that changed my destination or my direction to. Um, to working with different scientists and getting to go places and and be with some very important people. It's been it's been a great thing. And I just kind of kept it quiet and didn't say anything. And not even though I had severe criticism from family or friends, I still I wanted to grab them and say, if you only known where I was last week, I was in D.C. last week or. Uh, different things. I just had to just be quiet, and that's why I was that way. Well, it's understandable. You live in the middle of the Bible Belt, and you know it's it's customary for them to doubt. They think that have they told you that they think this could be a work of Satan? Oh yeah, that's what was the. You know, when I came home in 07, January the 8th, 07, and I started talking about this, I, my Crohn's disease was gone. Uh, I was, uh, it, although it scared us and scared my son, you know, I was crying out. I was ready to leave this world at that time. I'd lost everything, and my health was bad, and at 46, and, and these UFOs came, balls of fire. But when I come home telling this, even though I was praying and I was seeking help, that was Satan himself. And so they brought holy water to my house and more than once and um, just didn't want to believe us and wanted to say, you know, you tell my children, your dad's playing with the devil. And so it caused a lot of problems, Mel, with the family. And for five years, it was like that or more, still like it for a lot of you know, for a lot of them are still that way. It's sad, but. I've been reading a lot of the reviews that people are giving you on Amazon and some videos out there from serious, serious people. And I'm, 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 I'm not surprised because I know, and I trust your story. It's one of the most convincing stories I've ever had the, the pleasure of, of, of listening to and investigating, but the people are really, really, taking your story and, and making and giving the credit that it deserves, Chris. I appreciate that, Mel. Yeah, I'm amazed myself. You know, when I turned this thing loose, uh, I was I was really terrified how the public would react and the community, and, and especially my community. And what has happened is it's overwhelmed me with, just people being making the, the wonderful comments and sharing their hearts and and my community, my very community where I thought I had, I wanted to move out of town. But now I've got a lot of people from my very town that uh, are calling me and saying, I read your book. You know, I, I, I got to tell you my story. So it's overwhelming, uh, heartwarming for the whole family, my wife. Yvonne and all my children are, we're all, um, we're all so thankful. Do you think others in your community who have remained silent for a long time may have had similar experiences and you have given them the, 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 
the go to come out and see it? Absolutely. I had a, I've got a lady right now. She's just, she lived, she actually lives about a mile and a half on the river up uh, south on the Cape Fear River, right on the water from where it happened in 07. And she's been seeing orbs there um, and has never told us all. And now she's found a best friend, her family, her kids. They're like, uh, and it's incredible how many people are having experiences but never talk about it. I remember your story very well on the date, January the 8th of 2007, because that was two days after my daughter was born on Saturday. Yours was in a Monday, correct? Right. And I remember that. I remember your daughter being born. Um, you talking to me about it back then. And it was, yeah, this stuck out for me. This. So the people that may have not listened to our interview before, I just want to give them a couple of minutes of a recap you suffered the consequences, as I did too, as many other people who were in business with the financial crisis 2008. We have lost a lot, but particularly you, you were losing your health. Stress was consuming you. You had Crohn's disease, and then all of a sudden you get a call to, uh, I believe it was somewhere uh, in the coast of North Carolina to do a job with your son and some other colleagues and then you decided to take the afternoon off to go fishing, right? Give us a couple of minutes of a recap. Well, uh, what had happened was, you know, I was suffering sick and was unable to work for the longest time. And my dad convinced me, son, I, I got a job I want you to manage. I've got a crew of men working. They're going to build this house. And it was an hour and a half away. And so we took the job and I just kind of managed it. I would check on them and i was in bed most of the time even down there i'd come back and forth but after four months the job was over and it was just before christmas and um we knew we had to go back new year's to finish to get the final check the last the punch list had to be done so i sent them back down on the uh second or third of january and on the eighth they called me and said, we got it all finished and the contractors give us your check and we'll we'll be home at lunch. And so that's kind of how it started that day. They brought the check home. And uh, of course, dad wrote them a check. There's their payroll and paid them. And they went off to the bank and called me because of um, not having to go out of four, town for four months or any longer, they were uh, ready to celebrate. So they said, hey, Buzz, can we go fishing today? We, we'd love for you to come. And of course, I had the only four-wheel drive truck, and that was, uh, I picked them all up and took them down in that old muddy Cape Fear River bottom that, that afternoon, and that's where it all started. How has your perspective on your experiences evolved since we last spoke in 2013, Chris? Honestly, um, I am totally blown away because the experience never stopped. And, and for the longest time, it was periodic. It would happen for a month at home. We had orbs appearing inside the house and orbs over the house. And, and it was like that. I, and, and until 2012, I couldn't ever share it with anybody. Nobody. Um, uh, I could, if, if I had, except for my family, my immediate family, my children, 
but I'd have people come and want to sky watch. We'd never see anything. But after 2012, that suddenly changed and it changed the direction of my life and uh, the ability to take photos and videos started then. And I can tell you right now, Mel, I've, uh, everybody, even government officials are blown away because I'm taking 25, 30, 40 videos in an afternoon every night. It's not one night and they're ground level. A lot of them, I took 39 videos this week of orbs around me and my children. So it's like incredible. Something's really happening. And um, and I have these these vis- videos to, sh- to, sh- to prove it. You know, it's crazy. Do these orbs communicate with you when they're going to be showing themselves so that you can capture in, in film? Yeah, yeah uh, I demonstrate that. In fact, Dr. John Alexander wrote a book. He came to my house, you know, I'm, he was at the gathering where yeah. you and I were. Mm-hmm. And, um, he came to my house in 2015, he and Victoria and wanted me to take him down on the river in which Emily and I did my daughter. And, um, just about right after dark, we come back up to the car and watch the sunset really until the stars come out. And, um, I told him, I said, John, they're here right now. And because I could hear them, they do communicate. They communicate telepathically. And I demonstrated that. I said, John, they're here. And within 10 seconds, it appeared above us and flew away. And so he wrote a book called Reality Denied. And the whole second chapter is about he and I and uh, Emily and Yvonne on that. Uh, And what was really striking to him and he says this over and over that uh, the the temporal connection, how I knew in advance, and um, but it's because they're talking to him. I can I can hear them through this telepathic communication. It's really amazing, but it's like visions, like like I see my if I'm looking and talking, having a conversation with you, suddenly my my whole brain shifts into. Uh, the phenomenon and it's like hey we're here right now and I feel it it's instantly that that sensation that vision comes with the feeling and that's how I know they're there it's like they're outside sending a message and I've shown that on film many times in your new book UFO of God you discuss the increasing frequency of your encounters what do you think is the reason behind this well, I, I can tell you, and it's in the book in 2019, at the worst part of my sickness, I walked out my back door and I live in a little cabin on a pond. It's just a little 800 foot cabin on a four acre pond. And when I open the back door, I'm right at the water, six, eight feet from the water. Well, this brilliant orb appeared about three or four hundred feet up and came spiraling down through the down through the trees on the other side of the pond. And it's bouncing up and down about 10 feet, shifting from white to red to yellow. And suddenly, after sitting there a second, um, it, it starts towards me and I just dropped to my knees and um, I said, I'm not afraid. Um, you know, I'm not afraid. And it came up within 25 feet of me. And I pulled my phone out and I fumbled through it and 
tried to film it, thought I was videoing it because I finally got there. I, I didn't want to take my eyes off of it at the same time trying to find video with my left hand and I found it and I'm sitting there pointing at it and for five to eight minutes just putting on this light show and the minute I looked up to see how the recording was going I was so thrilled thought I was recording I noticed I didn't hit record so when I did this being knew what I was going to do before I did it it knew my thought they all know your thoughts I can tell you so the minute I hit record, it went out. It just vanished. But then suddenly it flashed me. And so for the next 18 minutes, I filmed that orb still sitting there. It just wasn't showing off in its glory like it was without filming. So I, 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 it was almost like I was just completely worn out. It was the weirdest thing. I drug myself into the house. Of course, I had, you know, RA was really bad at that time. And I crashed. But when I got up the next morning, it was like, oh, my God, what just happened to me? I, I knew it talked to me. It spoke to me. All the images started coming. And it started telling me that they were going to um, they were going to reveal themselves to the world. They wanted to be known that an awakening was coming and they were going to. Uh, they also said troubles on the way warn the people that trouble's coming to lock your doors. And so immediately I hadn't interviewed since I'd talked to you, I don't believe. Maybe once, maybe twice, but very little to none. So I just started calling podcasts, the last ones that had reached out, and I said, I'm ready to talk. And I did 10 interviews that year. And I was in San Francisco in January, February of 2020 and given that same message and when i got home COVID hit i didn't know it was COVID, but i knew uh, i was warning trouble was coming so and, and this being said tell what you know and we're going to help you with video and witness and at that point the videos took off to some suddenly it's on the ground now this orb that came out of the tree out of the sky to the pond they're doing that now in, uh, in huge numbers. It's just increased exponentially since then. And so many scientists have been here and, and academics and uh, people alike and have, have witnessed this. Some groups of 20, 25 people or more. So it's changed a lot of lives. And it's, it's incredible. But why? I don't know other than they want to, to wake us up. Why you, Chris? Do you ever get an answer to that? Why Chris Bledsoe and family? I've been asked that a million times, and, you know, I, I don't know why. Uh, I'm sure they had plans for someone, but it's been the worst. It's been a burden. It's nearly killed me this whole 16 years, and it's really turned around, you know, since I released this book, and my health got better, but... um I don't know that, Mel. I wish I knew. And it's definitely not about me. It's about something that's real, that wants us to know it, and they're going to prove it. Definitely. Well, I think I think it's a lot about you, Chris, because I think that they're using you as a conduit. And I remember our conversation, how you killed the biggest bear, the record for the year that you killed this biggest bear. And after the event happened, you feel sorry for every animal that you killed 
indiscriminate, indiscriminately before. So obviously yeah. something happened, something has downloaded onto you that you are now serving kind of a, as an ambassador. Well, I guess you could look at it that way. Yeah, I, I'm in the Boone and Crockett record book for killing one of the largest black bears in, uh, in North America at that time. And um, But I'm so, I, I feel like I might have shot somebody. It, it bothers me that bad to think about it anymore. At that time, I was a proud sport hunter, you know, a big guy, just killed innocent life. But I didn't think that way. But now it's... I don't hurt a bug. If there's a bug in my house, I pick it up and take it outside. If it runs from you, it don't want to die. And that was something my experience um, changed in me. It transformed me to a different human being. I'm not the same person at all I used to be. I'm sure that your story has garnered good attention and probably bad attention. And I'm not going to say that government is bad attention, but you have received... A lot of this is from, dare I say, not questionable, but can you share some of the stories of these people luring you to information that the mainstream people are not aware of and you have been exposed to that? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I read, when it first happened in 07, I was... Um, uh, I reported it and, of course, Move Fund came and did their investigation and They got me involved in a couple of uh, MUFON meetings back then, and I went to a few of them, three or four or five, over about five years of period, and or three years, the first three years. And those people are beautiful people, but some of them, they were so paranoid back then because the Men in Black show was out and Uh, my kids were terrified the government's going to come with the men in black and kill us all. We just were terrified. And so in 2008, that uh, after June, July, um, here comes a NASA scientist knocking at my door. And my kids called me, Dad, there's this big guy for NASA here. And they were terrified. And I'm like, we well, tell them to hang around. All will be okay. I'll be home in a little bit. Well, that turned out to be one of the best friends I ever had. He was like a father figure. Um, he died in 2020. He was 2021. He was coming here to have Thanksgiving, he and his wife. And uh, But he came. He would drive back and forth from NASA to from Cape Canaveral to our house for my children's birthdays and for his 13-hour drive. For my daughter's college, it did uh, uh, recitals and her graduation. And so I saw a different side of these people because I was terrified. I was terrified to start with. But he goes over to my dad's, knocks on his door without me knowing and pulls his badges out and said, you need to believe your son. I'm telling you it's all real. And he's telling the truth. And he didn't have to do that, right? But it changed the dynamics in my family. And after I met Larry, um, the so, the highest level in the government started coming, CIA and NRO and all these people. And uh, they did basically the same thing. When, when the community was harsh on us and making fun and, and giving my children a terrible time and it was these government individuals that 
would come and say, call all your friends to your house tonight, all, my children. Call all your friends over. I want to have a talk with them. If they don't believe you, they doubt you about your father, I want to talk. And that's in the book where uh, Jim Simivan does that. And it just was heartwarming. And it was just, it gave my kids vindication. So my experience with these people have not been bad. Uh, other than a few, you know, they were following directions, I guess. But these high-end, high-level guys came around and are still around. Um, and they, you know, I have nothing bad to say about my experience with the government at all. It's all been really positive for the most part. Well, that's great. That's great because I have a story that I haven't talked to, I haven't talked about for 15 years now. And it's not that it's similar to yours, but the people that were involved were not treated as kindly as you have. And it has to do with orbs. It has to do with us from the future. It has to do with many things that I'm not allowed to discuss yet, but I will in the near future because you, you are giving me the fuel to do that. And that's why I ask you if these orbs communicate with you and they tell you, you're ready to start filming, go ahead and do it now because that's exactly what happened. But uh, I'm going to be jumping around, not in chronological order. Uh, Larry Frischel, in case people wonder, who is this individual, mysterious individual that gathered 200 people of the who's who in the community that we discuss here? Well, he was a, a wealthy man who made a lot of money in finance and decided that You know, he was into all these topics. He listened to my show, to your story. And apparently a lot of his friends would just, oh, they don't believe him. And he said, you know what? I'm going to prove you all wrong. I'm going to bring the brightest of the brightest into this event. And you're going to listen to what they have to say. And I guarantee you that you're going to leave with a different perspective. And I think that's what he did. Now, the question is, how did this evolve because a lot of connections were made there. I interviewed a lot of people like you from that event. But uh, in 2015, he called you, I believe, and there was he's very connected, very connected with government and, and business. And there was a, a young man, a, a young boy, who apparently had a terminal disease. Yes, can you share that story? Yeah, it was uh, July the 4th of um, twenty. I think it was 2015. Um, it wasn't the fourth. It was like the second or third that week. And Larry calls me. She says, hey, Chris, she said, what are you doing this week? I said, well, it's, you know, the fourth of July is Friday. I think it was Friday. And my kids are coming home from college and we're going to we're all going to cook out and have fun and spend a weekend together. And he's like, um, or we were going to go somewhere on vacation. We hadn't made our mind up. And he's like, well, I, I know of a young boy that has mitochondrial DNA disease, and it's a death sentence. Um, he is 12 years old, and uh, he was given a make-a-wish, which means he has about a year to live. They didn't think he would ever get to 13. And um He has a feeding tube, so he's unable to eat. That disease doesn't allow his stomach to digest food, or uh, he would throw up profusely if he ate food. And his name is Brandon, who uh, I really love, this young man. Um, we, we trade text all the time. In fact, I'm going to spend about and I a few days in May with him and his mom and Jim and Deb. That's great. 
so he um, he says, well, this child has his mom's a doctor and his grandpa is a, a famous cardiologist in New York. And they've exhausted all the resources to try to help him. And they have a lot of resource. I mean, they've got anything that could be available to help him you know, at their fingertips and nothing seemed to help. And uh, I w- would like to try to get you up there and see if you can help this child. And I said, well, you know, can it wait the next week? It's 4th of July. He said, no. What's more important, this child's health or, you know, a party? I said, oh, you got me there, Larry. And um, I said, okay, send me a plane ticket. So next morning. Larry, Larry's persuasive. Yeah, you don't tell him no, that's for sure. So the next day I'm in New I'm in Washington DC and and he picks me up from the airport and we drive downtown and um I think it was Arlington, Virginia, and where these old white houses along these oak line streets and all the Fourth of July stuff out. And I was terrified, Mel. Absolutely had no idea what I was doing or how to help anybody. I'd just seen things happen, you know, and it's in the book about the first sign was a dog that was dying. And um, Grant Cameron witnessed that, by the way. But that's your black, the black lab, I think it was, right? Yep. Yep. Grant was standing right there yep. when it all happened. But so we got there that afternoon and I met Brandon and his mom and dad, and they were all into wanting to hear about me more and you know, I'm trying to hear about Brandon. So I had to tell my story and little guy, he was just so frail and um, he was just never complained. You could see his pain on his face, but he was so into hearing me and I felt so ashamed, you know, because I didn't know how to help him. And so I was sitting there praying the whole time, Lord, what I did, how did I get myself here? from, you know, a sick person on the river crying out to God to now I'm in Washington, D.C. with this young boy that really needs help. And I heard this, this something speak to me that said, just hug him, just hold him close and hug him. So right before we went to leave, I was so shy about doing that. I didn't know what to do. So I waited until it was about 12 o'clock that night before we were going to leave. And and uh, that gave me the chance to, to hold him and hug him a minute. And that later that night, uh, we went to a hotel and, and I had given them my phone number. And his mother calls me at one o'clock in the morning or one thirty maybe and says, this child is eating two plates of food. And um, not to spoil it all completely in the book, but he is finishing his exams in May. And his next year, he'll be a junior in college at American University. And he's going to Europe for three months this summer to study. And that is just um, an amazing thing. So he is well. Well, he's a whole lot. He would they said he wouldn't make it past 13. But he's able to, to go on his own now. How is yeah. this not, if you look at the definition of miracle, how is this not a miracle, Chris? Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I, something happened, Mel. I don't like to claim it was me because it won't. It was the phenomenon. I give it all to them, whoever they are. 
um, it was always a spiritual thing for me because, you know, I was sick and wanted to die. I was thinking the unthinkable, crying out to the heavens and these UFOs, these big fireballs appeared. And so what I did with Brandon is the same thing. I called on them, called on whatever you are. You know, you help me. Can you help this child? And undoubtedly, um, they decided to do that. And so my little buddy that's a lifelong friend now is um, is having his life back. That's incredible. I think you were invited to his our mitzvah too, right? Yeah, that was something else on its own. Um, There's a story there about a man passing out. Oh, yeah, yeah, tell us. Passing out on the table, tell us. Yeah, I'm sitting at my table, and um, all the ceremony was over. We go down to the basement. We're in a huge church, beautiful church on Madison Avenue. And and, um, so we're down in the basement, and there's a big dance floor and this beautiful uh, Jewish, I'd never been to a Jewish bar mitzvah, and it was just like the highlight of my life to see all these people having fun and dancing over this child, and he's out on that dance floor dancing, and my children are out there with him, and I'm just reflecting on, you know, if I could just tell my community what I'm doing right now, they wouldn't be so hard on me and my family, and I've got that chance to do it now, six to many years later, but I heard the band stop and yelling and screaming and the table behind me, uh, a man had passed out. It was completely unconscious. Um, they were trying to wake him up and loosen his collars and he was face forward, you know, turned white. He was white as a ghost. And Jim's wife, Debbie, she came and grabbed me and said, you got to help him. Drug me through the crowd. Now, the, the deputy director of the CIA was there, Mike Morrell and Jim and, you know, the uh, people from the Justice Department. It was full of high-level folks. And there again, I, I didn't know what to do. And she drug me up through the crowd to where he was sitting face down. And I put a hand on each shoulder. And when I did, he just took a deep breath like so and sat up. And everybody was like, whoa. And Debbie looked at me and she said, you saved him. I said, I don't know what just happened, Debbie. But, uh, you know, I thank the Lord that he's all right. But, yeah, that was a pretty exciting thing. But these are not the only instances. I believe there's a Sharon involved here too, right? Yeah, there's a whole lot more. But Sharon's one that didn't mind me writing about her. Um, she uh, wrote me today, believe it or not, and she was here this week and got to see Saturday night. She got to come, her and her girlfriend, and we had orbs ground level all around us, and they'd not seen anything that close before. Usually it's flying over, but Sharon had uh, had kidney cancer. Uh, and they had to remove her kidneys. And this is before I knew her. It had swollen up the size of a grapefruit, and they had to take it out. And chemotherapy wasn't helping. And so a year and a half later, it metastasized into her other kidney. So she's looking at death sentence. Her blood wasn't responding, according to the doctor, to the chemo. And she just she was looking at sudden or soon to 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 leave from here death 
and I was invited by a Southern Baptist College to come speak at a, a barbecue restaurant in a private room to a group of the the um, the students, and that turned into be uh, quite a show. You you read about that in the book. They set me up and tried to make me look bad, and um, it, it was really a hit job. And uh, so the whole audience there got mad and uh, walked out. We they took me and left. The 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 students did, and we ended up at. Uh, and I don't know any of these people, right? Uh, so we end, they actually turned on on the 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 guy that was that invited me, and you know they wanted me to talk. They didn't want to hear him cut me off and try to make me out to look like I was dealing with the devil. So I ended up at one of them's house that night with a whole group of people. There was a dozen people there and a little lady from the one of the most beautiful ladies. She was 80 years old. She was there. So I'm sitting in a chair, totally strangers in front of me in Kenston, North Carolina, two hours from my home. And, and, um, as I was sitting there, I noticed this young lady sitting on the couch and her shoulders were slumped down and she was almost laying down. She was so just she looked so unhappy and I kept looking at her, but she never spoke. And everybody's asking me questions now because we had just left the barbecue restaurant. So 20 or 30 minutes into it, I got to talking about my father who had just had a miraculous healing from kidney cancer. Uh, Chapel Hill told us he was going to die, and uh, uh, well, actually, Duke University told us he he had uh, he was going to die from it. And I started, you know, calling on the phenomenon, a miracle happened, and all his cancer was gone. And a big this bright orb appeared above us in front of my whole family that day when we got that news. So I'm telling that story in this room. And Sharon suddenly jumps up and, and, and sets up an alert. And she said, I just knew you were going to say that. And then she began to tell me I'm, I've got kidney cancer and all the what was going on. And, and all of a sudden, a lady let out a yelp and then another one. And then somebody said, I saw that. And so the whole crowd's pointing at me. And I'm sitting opposite from everybody, you know, in a chair against the wall. And they were describing this light that was dancing above my head like an orb. And so it turned into this Miss Jones. She's 80 years old. She runs and she jumps out of her chair and runs and hugs me. And she said, I just got to have a hug. And it turned into like a love fest. You might say everybody was so kind and loving. And that was Saturday night. Sunday morning, I got up. I walked out to feed my chickens. I had 40 at that time. And I reached in a chicken coop and I would get, you know, 30 or 40 eggs a day from those hens. They'd lay an egg a day. But one of them was tiny and was a perfect kidney. It was, I'd never seen anything like it. And so immediately I called Sharon. I said, Sharon, I believe something's happened with you. I just found a sign in nature. I think you're going to be okay. Don't worry no more. So next day she's had a scan at Duke University. She goes up there and her kidney cancer was gone. She didn't have it anymore. And, um, and her blood 
platelets and all changed. So a miracle happened with that young lady. And we're still very close friends from now till now. How does the scientific community explain this, especially doctors after they see these patients all of a sudden go in what they call remission? Yeah. Well, I know her doctor went to Facebook posting a miracle had happened because she was she was totally unresponsive to chemo and had like six or seven marble-sized tumors in her kidney. And she goes in for her scan and there's nothing there and her blood's perfectly fine. And, um, and so he went to Facebook, I'd have to say, and was, was saying that. Sharon shared his Facebook with me. That's how I know that. But yeah, it's always amazing. I, you know, and I could tell of stories overseas where things happen long distance in Australia and other places. There's there's no limit to to this phenomenon. There's so much to explore, but I remember that you did not discuss the lady back when we did our interview because most people just wanted to hear about the story of missing time and the river and so on. But now you're talking about the lady. Can you explain what happened and what it was? Yeah, well, in 2007, when it happened, uh, that's when the darkness came over my family uh, from the community, and we we were ostracized. And so five years, fast forward to 2012. It was Easter of 2012, uh, the Saturday night before Easter. And I was so depressed. My children come home crying every day. And, you know, their classmates would laugh at them. They get laughed at in the halls. And there was no relief. I could not. Everything I did made it worse. Because of your story? Yeah. Uh Yeah. Because Discovery Channel had done a show, you know, told me we will vindicate you. It was MUFON, actually. There's a hit Discovery piece. Film, and that was a hit piece on us and made me look like a liar. They used no uh, witnesses. There were many. They used no evidence. They had evidence. And um, so that turned the whole community at me as a laughing stock. And it spilled over on my family. And I'm out in my yard Saturday night. 2012 just before easter that night and and i'd had enough and i yelled up to the heavens i quit you know you you've made me uh into a laughing stock why you came and you helped me i don't have this sickness anymore but it's worse i'm now my family is persecuted because of me and i'm crying this out to this guy and i'm being honest right and so I, I went in and I said, I quit. I'll never speak of you ever again. Every time I tried to get a picture, it would vanish before I could mash the button. Every time I tried to share it with anybody outside my wife and children, it would disappear. It wouldn't let me take a picture. It wouldn't let me share it with anybody. I couldn't bring visitors over to see it. It was just elusive. But I saw it all the time and so did my kids. So Saturday night, and I had to say that because this is when it changed, when everything went into high gear and overdrive. I I cried out, I'm done, I'm quitting, I'm not talking about it. So I go to bed, and at 3 o'clock in the morning, because it's Easter, my wife was staying in my daughter's room up in the front part of the house where all the bedrooms were because my boys, three boys, would always have a half a dozen kids over. They came over with video game machines and TVs in their hands. 
flat screens. This is the funniest thing. They'd all set up and have one room full of gamers playing and talking. So mom's doing her, you know, job of protecting our daughter from any promiscuous boy that might be. Of course. Right. So I'm asleep in my room by myself uh, at three o'clock in the morning. And I say three because I heard this thunderous voice and it was the loudest, most deepest human voice I sounded human that I'd ever heard. It was like a rise and I heard it and it scared me extremely bad. And I jumped up from laying down in my, you know, pajamas and I sat up in the bed and it was totally dark in there. And I looked and the clock said three o'clock. And um, I said, who's in here? I heard that. I know, I know you're here. And I was, I was frightened and I saw this, what I thought was movement, this shadowy figure at the foot of my bed. And suddenly I felt like I was in a trance. And next thing I know, I'm completely dressed and I'm walking out my back door, completely dressed, clothes, shoes, everything. And I'm tailing behind these three shadowy figures. I'm walking behind them like I had no control. I had no fear. I wasn't afraid. And I state that early in the book of when it happened in 07, they took my fear away. They led me out to this dog kennel. My dad has always had a, a bunch of dogs and we had this kennel. And on the way, and in fact, this, that part of the property was uh, uh, real common to having experiences. And so as I'm following them, one of these figures turns around and hands me this this object that looked like the size of a, a like a three pound pack of hamburger, kind of a pill shape. And he reaches out and hands it to me and I take it. And when I took it, it felt like it was a living creature. It felt like rib cage and a puppy. If you were holding a little small uh, chihuahua, that's what it felt like. But there were no legs or no head or no tail or nothing. It was furry and it was, actually was pricking my hands and it scared me it was also quick it scared me and so i dropped it and i heard this voice say no you must keep that pick it up so i leaned over and picked this thing back up and i've got it in my hands and i'm afraid of it and when i look there's nobody there they're all gone and so the only thing i could think of i I don't want to lose it but i'm not holding it any longer so i walk over and open the kennel door and i set it inside the dog kennel And as soon as I closed that door and took a couple of steps back, this wind hits me like, and it's a dark night, it's clear sky, and it's cold, and there's no wind blowing at all. And um, this blast of air hits me so hard, it caught me off balance. And actually, I fell over backwards into the leaves, flat on my back. And as I'm falling backwards, I see this cow a translucent, I could see up through it and see the stars through it when it went over me. And it scared me. It was so powerful what happened. It scared me like extremely bad. So I land on my back and I flipped to my stomach all in one motion to run because I, you know, I thought it was a real cow, but it was weird that I could see through it. But it happened so quick, I, I was going to run. So when I rolled to my stomach, now I'm looking a different direction. And as I push myself up to my knees, I'm going to go to my knees and stand up and run. 
I never got to pass my knees because they're about six or seven foot from me. It's no longer a cow, but this beautiful, beautiful beyond words woman that was about four foot tall. And she was glowing like uh, the soft, radiant glow that cast a circle on the ground, about 10 foot circle you know, five foot out from her in every direction, maybe six foot. And I'm inside that circle. I'm just a few feet away. I couldn't have reached out and touched her, but she was very close. And her feet were up about my chin. So she was about three feet off the ground, um, just hovering there. And she looked so, um, so beautiful. Her dress was glowing this white. Uh, it was a white dress with a collar. And it went out to her her wrist all the way out and down to her feet. And her dress covered right half her feet. And it was this roaming, Roman-looking style with rolls in her dress. And it was flowing and moving. And she um, looked at me and she said, you know why I'm here. And I knew immediately. I knew when she said, this is your burden, you must keep. So she came to tell me, you're not going to quit. Um, I had these beings constantly coming in my dreams and in my presence, and they kept giving me this information. you got to tell your story. you got to tell your story. And I was trying until it got hard. And when I quit, she come. And she said, you're not going to quit. And she said, if you do this, I'm going to help you tell the world. I'm going to help you uh, with with witnesses. I'm going to help you with your camera. I'm going to help you all along the way, and I'll never leave you. And so I had no other, uh, I could never have told her no. And so suddenly she just disappears and vanishes. And I wake up, Mel, at the back door laying flat on the ground, um, or just inside the door flat. I didn't even, I got through the door and collapsed. And um, it was the most incredible experience I ever had. And right away, immediately, I was able to share it with anybody, most anybody, if it wasn't a skeptic. I was able to take photos and videos. And I have thousands. I've got 2,000 video I've taken in the last less than two years. Uh, and not counting photos, but she's still there. She's come before again uh, more than one time. And, but that's when the healings were, uh, the miracles started happening. That's uh, when everybody came on the scene like magic. It was instantly Larry Fischella calls me. I didn't, I didn't know him from Adam. And he calls me and says, I want you here. I'm going to send you a plane ticket, you and your wife. And. This is 2013, not the 2015 part, right? Yeah, yeah. How did he find out about you? I don't know. I, I, I have, it was the strangest thing how, you know, I was quiet. I wasn't talking to anybody. I guess this is the way the phenomenon works, you know. It's pretty much in charge, I can tell you. It, it is in total charge. Was that the first time that you saw a being that resembled a human? Yeah, absolutely. The first time, you know, the first experience was with a glowing little figure about three and a half feet tall. And uh, it had a 
a glassy appearance and was glowing the color of the moon. I painted it uh, in 2009 and uh, had red glowing eyes, like really bright red eyes, but a body that was soft, white, glowing and glassy look, shiny appearance and had a triangle, uh, what looked like a triangle on its chest when it stood there. But, yeah, this lady's in charge. And, you know, the Vatican investigated me. Um, they had interest. So did NASA. So did the National Reconnaissance Office. So did the CIA, the DIA, the DOD, the Air Force, the Navy. They've all been a part of my life. I've got missing time with a U.S. Naval subcommander, he and his wife. Uh, Chase Klotsky, if you know who she is, she came to visit with her husband and we lost time and <sighs> flew him. Yeah. So I, I hate to keep bringing Larry, but he's so involving all of this. There's another story where you went to the tree. If I explain, by the way, explain the tree because back in 2013, Grant Cameron, he, I guess he was writing a diary and he was emailing me and some other people, every time there was something happened, he would email us and he would tell us a story. Oh, today the, the tree caught fire again. And the next day your dog was almost killed. But let's go back. We'll talk about the dog in a moment, but talk about the burning tree. Okay. This was in 2012. Um, you know, remember I said crazy things began to happen, like, like pouring it out of a, a, a bucket. Yeah, we have to take our one and only break. You can buy Chris Bledsoe's a new book titled UFO of God by going to his website at ufogod.com or directly at Amazon. One more hour to come with the incredible story of Chris Bledsoe. This is Mel Hustlerick, and you're listening to Veritas. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, Proceed to the Veritas Plus Members section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Queen of Light took her bow and then she turned to gold. Friends of peace embraced the gloom and walked the night alone. Tell us all. Throw down your flower door. It's not to lock your heart. Side by side, wait the night. The darkest of them all. I hear 
Tender care, we paid and not forget.